Good morning, family. Good morning. I'd like us to uh, put on our imagination hats for a little bit this morning. <clears throat> Imagine that you are having Jesus over for dinner. Oh. Imagine that you are on a trip down to Boston and back, and Jesus is in the passenger seat. Imagine for a moment that you could ask Jesus any question you wanted. You could talk to him about anything that you wanted to talk to him about. What question would you ask? What conversation topic would you bring up? Just call it out. Why are you waiting so long? What's the purpose of COVID? Why do bad things happen to good people? Good question. Any more? These are some of the big ones. This past week, as I was rereading through the Gospel of Luke, I was taken in my red letter preaching Bible, I was taken by how much red letters, how many red letters there are. It's virtually the entire gospel is Jesus talking, Jesus asking questions, Jesus teaching people, Jesus having conversations with this person or that person. Jesus really did spend a lot of time having conversations with people. If a conversation with God is prayer, then a conversation with Jesus is prayer. It has something to teach us about how we can interact with God himself. This morning's text is typical of many of these conversations that Jesus had. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 27, Matthew, or not Matthew, Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke 5, 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Is it not the... Healthy who need, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There are actually two conversations going on here, aren't there? There's the brief conversation Jesus has with Levi, who we know better as Matthew. Levi was a tax collector, either for King Herod or for the Roman Empire. In either case, those kinds of tax collectors really had the liberty to be extortionists. <laughs> they, 
to charge as much as they wanted to pocket a portion of everything that they collected for themselves. So you can imagine how hated they were, regardless of who they were collecting for. The, the second conversation is with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I want you, again, let's put on some imagination uh, this morning. I want you for a moment to block out everything that you know about the Pharisees and the, ta and the teachers of the law. Just imagine you've never heard anything about their reputation. You don't know anything about their mindset, their philosophies, their theologies. Just imagine for a moment that they're just ordinary people on the street and they're having a conversation with Jesus. If you're able to do that, and I know it's hard, but if you're able to do that, the question that they ask, why do you eat, with, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, is a, is a perfectly good question, isn't it? How many of us parents ever asked our children a question like that? Why do you hang around with those people? You know, it's not good to hang around with those people, those bullies, those, those liars, those cheaters. You know, those are not the kind of people you should be hanging around with. Come on. So in one sense, it's a perfectly good question to ask. Jesus gives them a perfectly good answer. So let's continue on for a moment. Let's give the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees, let's give them the benefit of a doubt for a few minutes. Let's just imagine that the questions that they're asking are questions that they are honestly, openly looking for answers to. As I was going through the Gospel of Luke, I was jotting down all of the questions that they asked. In chapter 5, verse 21, who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. Chapter 6. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Not a bad question. Chapter 10. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? Those are great questions. Chapter 17, when will the kingdom of God come? We asked that question this morning. Chapter 20, verse 2, who gave you the authority to do these things? Later in chapter 20, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Wait to hear the answer to that one at tax time. <laughs> so on the surface, all of these questions, all of these conversations sound like honest questions. Questions that we ourselves have probably asked from time to time. Things about which we would like to know the answer ourselves. But as we know, the Pharisees weren't asking honest and open questions, were they? The problem was that they didn't ask their questions in good faith. And Luke makes this fact very clear, giving several examples of their duplicity. In verse 30 of this chapter 5, they complained to Jesus' disciples. 
Just the word complain gives you a little glimpse into their mindset, right? They're asking from a position of disagreeing with Jesus already. In chapter 6, verse 7, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. How often do people ask questions in order to dig up some ammunition so they can, they can fire back, they can make accusations? Chapter 6, verse 11, in response to Jesus' answer, they say, they, it says that they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They have an agenda when they're asking their questions, don't they? They're already making plans to do something to strike him down. Chapter 14, Jesus asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And it's, Luke says that they remained silent. They weren't going to tip their hand about what they thought about that question. It's an example of Pharisees not wanting to legitimately engage in the conversation after all. Look with me in chapter 20. First eight verses there, a prime example of what their agenda was behind the scenes. One day as Jesus, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 20, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves. See them talking to each other behind their hand, right? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, then, then his, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they've persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it's from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. <laughs> Their refusal to answer Jesus' question comes from the fact that they were unwilling to acknowledge the truth. Later in chapter 20, keeping a close watch on Jesus, the teachers of the law sent spies, Luke says, who pretended to be sincere. Look in chapter 22, verses 70 and 71, at Jesus' trial, the Pharisees asked the most important question of all. Are you then the Son of God? That's the important question, isn't it? Jesus, are you the Son of God? And when Jesus replied, you say that I am, they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. They weren't honestly interested in what Jesus' answer to that question was. All they were looking for was evidence of their conviction that he was a blasphemer. They had already come to that conclusion. They weren't asking the, information for, the, the question for information. They were asking the question for evidence. Asking questions isn't wrong, is it? But asking questions when you don't want to know the truth, when you're really not interested in the answer, that is a problem, isn't it? 
They were gathering, gathering ammunition, not truth. So they never benefited from having those conversations. They were along for the ride, but they never got anything out of the conversation. They were there around the table for some dinnertime repartee, but they never benefited whatsoever from those conversations. These conversations that they had with Jesus, these questions that they asked Jesus, opened no doors to God for them. And consequently, they have the reputation and the legacy with which we are so familiar. There's a stark contrast between the conversations that Jesus had with other people and the conversations that he had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. There's a, a radical difference in the conversations that Jesus had with people who were really interested in knowing what the answer was and having a conversation with people that had already come to the conclusions that they had. And the conversations that Jesus had with other people were amazing, door-opening conversations for them. Look at Levi, this short little conversation that Jesus had with him. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. That was his standard invitation, wasn't it? <laughs> come walk with me. Come talk with me. Come observe what I'm all about. And for Levi, that invitation was so full of hospitality and so full of love that he couldn't hardly resist it. It opened the door for Levi to redemption and to restoration, not only for Levi, but undoubtedly for a lot of those sinners who were sitting around the table at that banquet, right? Back in chapter 2, Jesus' mother Mary says, Son, why are you treating us like this? Moms, did you ever ask that question of your kids? <laughs> Jesus had stayed behind at the temple. Several days later, they finally find him. Son, why are you treating us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus' answer, of course, is, Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And Luke tells us that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured these conversations with Jesus in her heart. This is a conversation that began to open the door for Mary for an ever deeper awareness of God's plan for her life. The angel had given her a glimpse into what Jesus would become, but as she's having conversations with Jesus throughout his life, she's discovering at a deeper and deeper level how God was using her in this grand plan. In chapter 5, a leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' answer is, I am willing, be clean. A conversation that opened the door for spiritual and emotional and physical healing and restoration to the community for this leper. A powerful door-opening conversation. In chapter 7, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Jesus says, I have not found such faith in Israel. Of course, the servant was healed without Jesus ever having to go and lay hands on him. 
a brief conversation that opened the door to inclusion of Gentiles in God's grand design. In chapter 17, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. A conversation that opened the door to a deeper faith for those disciples following Jesus. In chapter 23, the criminal on the cross said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that brief conversation, Jesus' answer was, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. A conversation that opened the door to this man for salvation and everlasting life. In chapter 24, in a conversation with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, at the end of that conversation, the two say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and opening the scriptures to us? Conversations like this open the door for a holistic perspective on the long, long story of God's love. It started with Adam, and it ended with Jesus. And it's all one story. And the eyes of those disciples were opened to the grand plot that God had been writing throughout human history. When we have conversations, we gain, gain tremendous new insight into the story of God, which is our story. The difference between the conversations, the prayers, as you would, <clears throat> that Jesus had with these other people and the difference of the conversations that he had with the Pharisees is, is dramatic. These people found freedom and restoration and redemption and faith and a deeper relationship with God. All the Pharisees found was more evidence to convict Jesus of their presuppositions. Conversations have the power to open doors into eternal life. But those doors can be just as easily shut based on the presuppositions, the assumptions, the biases, the convictions that we have, that we harbor in our hearts and our minds, the things that we don't want to change the perspectives that we're not willing to give up. But there's a prayer discipline that I want to remind you of this morning, which has the power of turning us from our presuppositions, our assumptions, our closed mind and closed heart, to being able to have some door-opening conversations with Jesus. It's the spiritual discipline of self-examination. Self-examination. It's described as admitting to God our natural propensity to rationalize, to deny, to blame, and to be obsessed with ourself. Anybody willing to admit to any of that? <laughs> we have a tendency to rationalize, right? We have a tendency to deny the things that we don't want to hear. We have a tendency to blame other people. We have a tendency to be obsessed with ourselves and not others, and certainly not with God. So self-examination is seeking God's grace to change those things. And they're only going to change by God's grace, right? 
working harder won't get us there. I've tried. Seeking God's grace to change. It might mean asking God to help me see myself as he sees me. In the immortal words of Robert Burns, Oh, the gift he gave to see ourselves as others see us. Or perhaps asking a close friend to help me see my blind spots. Have you ever done that? Ask your husband, your wife, somebody that you're close with, you know, where is it that I just don't seem to get what's going on? Where is it that I, I miss what's happening in my relationships, where I miss what's happening in my conversations? It's to begin to notice your strong emotions. When do you feel yourself getting hot, defensive? angry or withdrawn more than likely if we ask the question why am i getting angry in this situation we will discover some things about ourselves that are a hindrance to being able to be one with god so pay attention to your strong emotions and ask where is this coming from what's motivating this in me <clears throat> if you're looking for a a prayer, words, somebody else's words that puts it so well to be able to do this prayer of self-examination. I'd suggest to you, self-examination, I'd suggest to you Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As I was using my imagination this week, I could not imagine the Pharisees praying that prayer. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. I, I don't think they got that. Lead me in the way everlasting. They were convinced they knew the way everlasting in Jesus wasn't the answer to that. And they weren't willing to entertain any answer others than the, other than the ones they were already convinced of. The discipline of self-examination will help us to know just how serious we are about having door-opening conversations with Jesus. Self-examination opens the door to conversations with God in which God can gently correct us. you want God to gently correct you? Or would you prefer the two-by-four between your eyes? Having these kind of self-examination conversations with God opens the door to deepening our faith. God is infinitely more than we know him to be. And he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us by faith to be able to experience him at a deeper and deeper level every single day. We get to have a conversation with him where he leads us there. These kind of conversations can bring healing to the wounds of our life. Would you love to have some healing? 
Conversations like these reveal God's will to us, help us to discern where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do and what he wants us to say and how he wants us to spend our time and our talents and our money. Conversations like these have the power, have the ability, open the door for us to be transformed even more than we already are. Can you imagine God doing more in your life than he's already done? I say, can you imagine God doing more in your life than he's already done? I'm not convinced. But let me tell you, he can. If we're willing to have the conversation. If we're willing to let him examine our hearts. So Jesus had many, many conversations with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. They are among his most common conversation partners. But virtually every one of those conversations left them completely unchanged. Sad, sad story, isn't it? Whereas Jesus' conversation with Levi... Follow me. Transformed his life. Let's bow our heads together and have a bit of a conversation with our Heavenly Father. Ask that question again. What are the questions that you would like to ask? What are the conversations that you need to have with Jesus? What are the stubborn patterns in your life that only Jesus can change? You're tired of struggling. What are the strong emotions? Defensiveness, anger, frustration. Irritated at what you hear on the news. Offended by people that you have conversations with throughout the course of the day. For a moment, would you imagine yourself walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus? Imagine yourself, perhaps for the first time, openly and honestly talking about your feelings, talking about your thoughts, talking about your frustrations. you imagine for a moment Jesus saying, would you mind if I gave you my perspective on that? Would you mind for a moment entertaining the possibility that maybe there's another way of looking at that issue?
and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Know my stubborn thoughts. Know my hopeless thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me away fast. Lord, we thank you for inviting us to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. We thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to have a conversation with you that goes on all day long. We thank you, Jesus, for your patience as we have this conversation. We thank you for opening our eyes, opening the doors in our lives. Your grace and mercy, your restorative healing power. Lord Jesus, we love you because you're with us. Your Holy Spirit, you're in us. Lord, I pray in the week to come that you would help us to begin to work this prayer of self-examination into our lives every day, several times a day, perhaps. Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us, Father, to open our minds and our hearts to you and whatever you want to say to us whatever you want to do in us, whatever you want to do as you lead us forward. Lord, we are your people, not stubbornly following you, but willingly following you, just as Levi. Thank you for your grace, Christ in all of God.